0: You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm John. And tonight, we're going to be looking at the fourth episode and fifth episodes of Ultra Q, starting with episode four, Mammoth Flower. <laughs> 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 the, t- <laughs> the name just mm. it's promises just... On an empty street, a policeman meets an untimely end as he spies a strange underground disturbance, and then part of a building falls on him. Welcome to the Unbalanced Zone. Jun and Ipe are picking up flyers for his airline at an advertising agency in Tokyo. But the building is a mess. They claim that it was a localized earthquake that hit only their building. While that seems unlikely, what other explanation is there? Michan, an employee at the agency, tells them about something strange in the nearby moat. They head out to see it. Before they get there, they meet their reporter friend Yuriko, who is investigating the earthquake story. She goes with them to see the object in the moat. It's strange, all right. They go to talk to their acting scientific advisor, Professor Ichinotani, who says that, having not seen it himself, he can't hazard a guess what it was, but somehow predicts its roots will be back elsewhere in the area. And soon they are, as giant root-like structures burst into the basement of a building, capturing a hapless worker. The roots are covered in thorns which suck the blood out of their victims. This will never do, so the police decide to act. It's postulated that a bulb is below the ad agency building and may soon sprout. Professor Ichinotani suggests that it is a giant prehistoric mutant flower. Why giant? Because things were big back in the day of the dinosaurs. It does, in fact, sprout, destroying the building and nearly killing Ipe and Michan. Professor Genda wants to have a day to study it before it's destroyed, but Ichinitani doesn't think they should. When the giant flower bursts out of the building at a rapid pace and starts spewing poisonous pollen, Genda changes his mind and provides June with the beans to destroy the flower, fixed carbonic acid. June drops a fixed carbonic acid bomb on the flower, while the military flamethrower its roots. The mammoth flower is no more. Okay, well, there's uh, something that the listeners should know about this episode. This is apparently the first actual episode they made, is my understanding. Yep. And it kind of shows.
1: Yes. Yeah, I think they were still working the kinks out of some of the equipment. And, uh, I don't know, maybe the writing was a little bit... Uh, lacking? I don't know.
0: I mean, I think that the keys that show off it is how much they actually managed to do a pretty good job of setting the stage. I mean, this is really the first time authoritatively that we know that June owns that airline. Yes. That that they have one SESTA and one helicopter. Mm -hmm. That they that he is a science fiction writer. I think we got that in one of the others. Somebody mentioned writing science fiction, right? Mm-hmm. But we get so. that. We get the fact that uh, we, we actually learn each Natani's name, even though obviously they already know him. Um, but it, it's more plausible now. I mean, if I were a science fiction writer, I'd want to have scientist friends.
1: It would be useful, yes.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, look, I want to. I want to make my spaceship travel to another starship in uh, you know a few hours. Uh, how can I do that? You can't. Yeah, oh.
1: you know it runs on cabbage. Hmm. Yeah. Mm, no. Sorry.
0: Uh, <laughs> right. Okay. Well, you were a big help. I guess I'll just make something up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Handwavium. No the hand wavy drive Mm
1: -hmm.
0: um we all just stick our hands out the back of the ship and wave them exactly anyway so we get that i think this is probably the most explicit indication that there's supposed to be although i've seen not the slightest evidence of it even in this episode that there might be some sexual tension between yuriko and uh june that that they've got that they've got that bantery, you know, nineteen forties comedy, romantic comedy bickering mm-hmm. thing going yeah, on there. Exactly that line he has about you ought to be out chasing boys instead yeah. of stories, and uh, you just you kind of get you kind of get a feeling they're trying to set this up as there's something not happening there, but that both of them are.
1: Yeah, it's it's a classic, you know, and she's just kind of ignoring it, and uh, but still looks mm-hmm. like she's acting like she might actually be interested yeah and he's definitely open for whatever happens <laughs> he's not picky
0: so so you didn't feel that this one was up to up to snuff of the standard of the others or um,
1: um i noticed that some of the uh the visual effects were a little bit um, cheaper than the others yeah, i'm talking about when they showed the giant plant uh towering over the city from an aerial shot looking down. And it was the plant, it was part of the building, and then it was literally a photograph of, uh, it was an aerial photo of the city that they were around. They did that in a As couple As opposed shots.
0: to uh, assembling an entire city. For right, or uh, there some buildings or something like that.
1: Out. I mean, I understand why they did it. I mean, they did stuff like that on Space 1999. So, I mean, it's not that it's...
0: Yeah, it's flat. You're not supposed to be able to tell. Right, right. You right. get the you get the illusion out of it, but
1: yeah. it wasn't quite as bad as uh, giant grasshoppers stand uh, climbing on postcard buildings. wasn't quite oh, yeah, that, that bad. So uh, yeah, you know, more points to him for that.
0: There were bits of it I quite liked. Uh, the the building mm-hmm. cracking up. Oh, the, uh, oh, that was nice.
1: Yeah, good good work with the uh, the cracking effects and a little stop motion animation with that. Yeah, and uh, when it would burst through the uh, the cement, mm-hmm. that was pretty cool too.
0: The, those were those looked pretty good, and I, I will say that the that the root flopping about in the moat. Yeah, that looked nice. It not only did it look nice, but it it's it was kind of genuinely creepy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's like it's not terrifying enough that you're gonna run away and hide, but it's weird enough that it would. Attract a, a crowd of people, especially when it kind of starts thrashing a little bit
1: right right and a nice thing is is that it was uh, pretty clear that it was traveling towards the water from outside of the the castle mm-hmm. and um you know hats off to him to again choosing the location and actually keeping shots within that area because the uh, the opening establishing shot is kind of a slow panel from. The Tokyo train station, the, right. the kind of central one, panning across to a bunch of buildings. And if you happen to look at modern Google Earth, you can find, obviously, the Tokyo station is still there looking the same. Building across from it, actually to right to the uh, across from the camera, is, has been added on to. But the base is still the, uh, the Tokyo post office, their main building. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think... The building that the newspaper was in has been demolished and rebuilt with something modern. But important thing... Well, that
0: big flower, I mean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's why they did it.
1: Yeah. And more importantly, it's just a couple blocks away till you get to that part of the moat of the castle. Mm. I mean, it's literally right down the street. It's like, wow, actually, that was well done.
0: Uh, uh, my guess is they did a lot of that photography on the streets pretty early in the morning because that shot of the cop walking at the beginning, mm-hmm. walking a completely empty street <laughs> yeah, in that's, Tokyo. That's... And, it, and it wasn't, <laughs> because there was a car that passed it. So, I mean, there, it, is, it is a real Tokyo street mm-hmm. shot at a time when it does not have any people on it. It, it, it definitely has that, uh, it, for an establishing shot, you kind of go, this is weird. Why is yeah. Tokyo abandoned?
1: Yeah, that looked out of place just because, well, we both know that it's busy as hell there all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so they must have blocked off some streets for a couple minutes of shooting and, you know, that was it. Got lucky.
0: It's possible that, you know, it's like a Saturday or Sunday morning. Yeah,
1: it was probably least, uh, early Real Sunday early. morning.
0: Yeah. Um, I have
1: no idea what their unions are like over there, but we'll yeah. say they work on Saturday and Sundays.
0: I'm sure they do. If the the boss says you work Mm. on Saturday or Sunday, you work on Saturday or Sunday. Um, In fact, they're probably still, you know, working from the night before through the drinking. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say, I mean, Godzilla versus Biollante aside, really, who else would think of a giant flower terrorizing a city? Uh, Yeah, yeah.
1: It's uh, referred to as Juran, isn't it? In... Later ultraman stuff
0: I don't know I haven't um, I haven't run across the giant flower yet in uh, ultraman so but wouldn't surprise me because you know they reuse those things yeah um, although that one is not really a costume per se I would say it's more of a prop
1: yeah pretty much uh, ultra galaxy mega monster battle
0: oh okay uh, that is actually the only ultraman without an ultraman in it. <laughs> um just the monsters it is it's what the kids want so I, I have not actually seen but maybe one episode of that so it wouldn't surprise me to give it a name but but it is the the kanji at the beginning or the the kana at the beginning <laughs> is mammoth flower yes which uh, that was just great <laughs> mammoth flower yeah. it's lovely it's like, All right, Mammoth Flower, yeah. and that, they that actually call the it
1: that in the episode too.
0: Yes, they did, twice. At least they had mm-hmm. the the Mammoth Flower News Program or whatever they called it,
1: and the uh, Mammoth Flower Emergency Headquarters. That's what it was. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they didn't spend too much money on signage because they didn't need it for long. <laughs> well, it's the we same guy T-shirts doing and, the and sign. hats
0: made. It was. Uh, same guy that did the sign that said doctor last time for uh, oh, each yeah. and yeah. <laughs> and staff.
1: <laughs> uh, uh was the the boss different at the newspaper than they were the never first at episode? The newspaper.
0: That was that was not Well, oh, that was the ad agency. That was the ad agency.
1: Oh, okay. My bad.
0: I I I thought that too when I went to I thought they're going to the thing. No, but that was that's the ad agency that June was using. To have his flyers printed.
1: Ah, see, I was... I thought that they were picking up flyers from the ad agency that were advertised in the newspaper. And they Paper. were going to drop it on the unsuspecting city.
0: <laughs> yes, I kind of thought that, too. It's like mm. I kind of thought that, too. And I still kind of wonder what they were going to do with those flyers. Because I don't think... <laughs> I don't think you're really allowed to fly over a city and dump out flyers.
1: No. Right. In America that is not allowed. Uh and I you know, I think there's kind of a history of dropping leaflets from airplanes. It just it's it's not good. Yeah. Especially in Japan, come to think Especially of it. Especially
0: when they're in two big large bundles like that, which would drop like a rock. <laughs> well you
1: know. <laughs> they they explode when they impact. Oh, okay. <laughs> but
0: they were loading them into
1: the plane. I think they were going to drop them like on a beach or something like that.
0: <laughs>
1: I honestly think they were
0: on a, on a scenic spot. It's like uh-huh. you could be seeing this beautiful space from the air.
1: <laughs> exactly. You know, and and who cares if there's you know five six thousand sheets of paper scattered all over the forest that you're going to be paying to go visit. <laughs>
0: you, you know, you know, from from two thousand feet up, you can't see the paper.
1: <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> Yep. I have no idea if it says
0: the flies at 2,000 feet, but we'll... Uh, yeah, it does. We'll go. Yeah. Okay. We'll go. <laughs> we'll go up to 10. Go up to 10,000 feet. You don't get much sightseeing at 10,000 feet, though, do you?
1: Well, it depends what you want to see. If it's really big, like a giant mammoth flower, perfect. Oh, good point. Mm-hmm. Good point.
0: I like the concept of the giant mammoth flower. Yeah, I do the, too, actually. The blood-sucking thorns.
1: Mm-hmm, because it's looking for water.
0: Okay, I'll buy that. And it turns out that those thorns can bite animals and suck their blood. And I guess that would be not just water, but that's bonus nutrients. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right? So, uh, and, and everybody knows that if it lived in prehistoric time with dinosaurs, it has to be uber violent and vicious. Yes. And very large. Uh, the premise of all Jurassic Park films. Yes. And... Uh...
1: <laughs> well, it wasn't smart and, and ended up hurting the humans somewhere, so it wasn't quite quite Jurassic Park, but yeah.
0: Uh, same concept. You know. All all prehistoric things were incredibly you know, that is a that is a um a, trope? A holdover. Yeah. That that trope is a holdover of the old notion of red and tooth and claw, uh which, you know, was was kind of those prejudices that people had about uh, prejudice is right, predispositions of notions that primitive life must have been more barbaric and more violent and more horrible than life is now, right? So they projected back on dinosaurs a viciousness and a violence to them that is probably not warranted. They're probably no different than modern animals, which, you know, frankly can be pretty darn... Uh, you know, nasty. Uh, if you're on the receiving end of claws and fangs, but
1: no, I understand that the T-Rex was quite erudite. Yeah, had a monocle yeah, he, and
0: a hat, man. Yes, and walking yeah.
1: stick. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's
0: you know, right, granted, I mean, if you're
1: but, yeah, as bears go, they're you know they're they're pretty nasty if you're up against them. But you know, generally. They're just they're not. big animals. Yeah,
0: yeah, they're not, and 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 dinosaurs and what would are extremely likely to be like that too. And so mm-hmm. um, it, it just it's one of those things that it's a bias that kind of came out during that whole period of time when the concept of evolution was new, and I want I would love to say wasn't universally accepted, but as we know, there are people still that don't. But you know, during those early days. They, they, it's like when they thought that dinosaurs were stupid. Mm-hmm. Because they must be stupid because they died out.
1: Yes, exactly. That,
0: and and this, this is that same thing. So whenever you see all those, you know, you just automatically put a dinosaur out there and it's going to kill everything it possibly can all the time. It's like, it, it's just not. And right. so this mammoth flower is, is kind of that same thing. If it's primitive, it must therefore be extremely deadly. Everything right. about it's going to be deadly. It's pollen's going to be deadly. Mm-hmm. Its thorns are going to be deadly. Presumably, if a leaf fell on you, it would be deadly. A crush you um, would be huge. Smother you, crush you, yeah, mm-hmm. something of that nature. It would. It would be. Um, <laughs> uh, but but getting back to the to the store. Um, oh, I did. I warned you in advance that I when I watched this episode. A thought occurred to me when they went to see Mr. Uh, Professor Ichinotani. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know why, perhaps because I had just been watching Get Smart or something, but do you remember Tennessee Tuxedo? Yes. Do you remember what they used to do in every episode of Tennessee Tuxedo?
1: Hmm. Uh...
0: They went to see Phineas Whoopee. Oh, that's Right. And oh, yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> yep. each Natani All is respeered. Mr. Whoopi.
1: <laughs> interesting
0: i 'm glad you came to talk to me, boys,
1: <laughs> so will he be pulling down a uh, his magic three d projector or is it 4 d projector or whatever, so <laughs> I, they can step I, into
0: I'd, it i 'd like to see that <laughs> <laughs> huh let 's see what have we got there isn't there isn't a whole lot i mean it 's a flower. Uh, and it's it's a deadly flower. And, you know, to be fair, it was very fast, right? It bloomed very quickly. Yes. So we could assume that it would pollinate very quickly, although I don't know what it would pollinate. but Oh, there's a its kind? It, that, well, it's got to, you know, I, I think the threat here is that that flower might reproduce. Yeah. And uh, I don't know enough about plants, but...
1: Well, when a, a mommy plant and a, a daddy plant, and plant love get each other and they
0: form a bulb, and yeah, uh, I there's think a bee they Can it's possible for a plant to reproduce by itself? Yes. Yeah. I think it's it's I mean, uncommon, but yeah, I mean, they have male and female parts in the flower, mm-hmm. um, but I think, typically speaking, obviously, it works best if the pollen goes to another plant for genetic diversity. But we have the possibility that that thing would put bulbs out all over Japan. And it was not clear to me that they were going to actually be able to destroy it. Right. Easily, as easily as they did. So we have that, the, the, the most interesting thing in this episode to me, I mean, apart from kind of some of the work and, and the, like I said, just the idea, right. That we're going to threaten Tokyo with a flower. You can see why they held it back. Yeah. Right? This is this is probably not a good one to open with. It's weird and there's an interest to it. But it, it doesn't have the giant it doesn't have the gotcha of a giant space slug.
1: Or a giant Godzilla like monster.
0: Or Godzilla like yeah. monster, which I would be willing to bet nomadic I still think that's the poorest of the stories we've seen. Yes. Yeah. The first one, but it had what was obviously Godzilla in it and i i would be willing to bet dollars to donuts that that's what they why they chose that one and you held this one back because it's a concept <laughs> it's a, yeah it's a concept monster more more so than an actual terrorizing threat monster it's definitely a concept it's
1: not monster. the type of episode that you lead with so you get high ratings
0: no it does fit with the whole unbalanced zone oh very well um for the next 30 minutes, you'll experience a parting of mind and body and become swallowed into the mysterious time. It, it's, um, they're definitely going for that Twilight Zone vibe. Mm hmm. With that. And, uh, I think it's probably sounded cooler in its original language, but. Oh, the interesting part was when they got to the uh, giant, uh, giant flower emergency headquarters, they, uh, uh, Ichinatani wanted to destroy it Mm -hmm. and we actually had the science debate yes with uh with uh what's the guy's name genda genda genda
1: professor genda science at times it can be true cruel
0: what did he mean by did he mean that we had to study it and that could there could still be problems while we do it because
1: yes that's exactly what he said don't kill it we want to study it yeah it's destroying blocks of the city that have people in it we want to see
0: what it does. Okay. Like, <laughs> I. Uh, okay. He changed his tune very quickly, though.
1: Yes, he did. Yeah, he did change his mind. That was nice.
0: It, and and that is what ultimately also let me down about that conversation, was that they had it and that he was like, can't you at least try to see how I feel? And And kind of storms off or something of that nature. And... And I'm not, it's unclear, it was not the plant flowering that made him change his mind. It was something else, um, I think. Or maybe it was after the flower started sprouting. I think it was, sprouting.
1: When, yeah, I think when it was producing pollen.
0: Was it at the pollen Point. I think, maybe I think so. The poisonous pollen, which I'm not sure how they knew it was poisonous, but...
1: Well, two guys saw it first, only one guy came back. I don't know. <laughs>
0: I mean, he may have just died of, a, of an allergic reaction. I mean, yeah, he had, super he had hay pollen favorite. allergies and yeah. that much. I mean, you could relate.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely.
0: To a lesser degree, I could relate. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, yeah. So he changes his mind and he's like, I have got just the stuff you need <laughs> exactly. to take out this plant. And here it is, my stash of fixed carbonic acid. Mm-hmm. We have to anchor the carbon dioxide, is what he said at one point.
1: Yep. Kind of like modern halon, where it binds up the oxygen so the fire can't burn.
0: Is that what he was... is is, Is that what carbonic acid does? I think when you're making it, yes. I've heard of carbonic acid, but honestly, I really don't know anything about it. And I certainly get it confused with carbolic acid, which... I think they used to use in operating theaters to to clean their hands. It was but, an antiseptic. Yeah, they
1: would mist yeah. it in the air, and it would make everything yellow. Apparently.
0: Sorry, and I am not a horticulturist, therefore I, I don't know uh, what you would use it for in plants. Uh, but apparently, this guy does. So, what what does fixed carbonic acid do?
1: I am not a hundred percent
0: sure. <laughs> I thought you had to do research. <laughs> well. I looked it up. It's a real thing. Okay, it is a real thing. It's a
1: real thing, yeah.
0: And he had a couple bottles of it, and that were, you know, about the size of quart bottles, I'd guess, maybe. Yeah, looked about right, yeah. Maybe, maybe liter, liter and a half, uh, something of that nature. And with those two bottles, June flew over a flower that was, oh, I would say, what, uh, 10 to 20 times the length of a Cessna across? Um, I actually found measurements
1: of the thing. It is a uh, well, height of the 100 meters. So, yeah, I'd say it's about 80 to 100 meters in diameter.
0: Yeah. Not small. Yeah, but th- those measurements are far too precise. How big is a Cessna? So we can compare. <laughs> oh, well. Because the plane, if you think about it, you, uh, you can imagine. Cessna's envision... about the size of a Buick. Yeah, you can envision a pla- <laughs> you can envision a plane flying over this 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 giant flower, mm-hmm. and the the plane is minuscule in comparison to the flower, and and then inside the plane is Jun, who's who's you know minuscule compared to the plane, and then he's got those two bottles of carbonic er, carbon, yeah carbonic acid, <laughs> yeah. I, thought, I thought I said carbolic acid there for a second and and. He parachutes them down. Um, yeah, and
1: sprays in the bottom. I'm not sure what the doctor, Professor Gendo was doing with that box with the dials on it. Maybe he was yeah. saying when it was supposed to spray on the bottles.
0: Maybe it was a remote control. I thought it was a, a detonator. I thought they were going to drop the thing in there and then blow it up so that it would yeah. spray, the, spray the acid all over the place. But uh, mm-hmm. it didn't really. They just kind of gave it a little slow parachute spray-off thing. Uh, and then it died, and then the military went in with flamethrowers and burnt it. Yes. And I think that, and I, I definitely appreciate the fact that I believe that they could have taken it out with the flamethrowers.
1: It would have this taken is, this, a long time, but yeah,
0: this is not a monster that that is insurmountable. This is definitely one that could have been taken out by modern technology um, if they just you know worked on. They might have to get the napalm out. Or, or the agent orange or some, something but they definitely could have taken this thing down if they if they'd really tried so i i i i think that's an interesting difference between this show and and like the ultraman shows or the the godzilla shows uh where nothing you can do is going to stop it mhm you know it it's it's invulnerable to everything except another giant creature and uh in a way you know, I love Godzilla films and, and Ultraman shows though I do. I don't like that trope. What else have we got here on this? It's not a lot. Really. It's 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 a an interesting Oh, Ipe's not an idiot.
1: No, no, and he didn't didn't seem to be that uh he wasn't trying to go on dates or, or give uh give the woman uh uh jewelry that he made. Not yet yeah. anyways.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> but I mean he, he you know, he kind of comes off as comedy relief, but he's not super funny. And I and I and I mean that not in the way of he's supposed to be really funny but he's not. I mean it in the way of like he's a little goofy, but he's not super goofy. And so I think it's cuz he's younger. In this episode, he even comes up with the idea that there is a bulb underneath the building. Right. And and you know, he tells that to June, and June's like, oh, it's actually a pretty good mm-hmm. you know, and I and I liked that. I like the fact that Ipe's not an idiot.
1: Vampire he, plant Dracula.
0: Okay. But you know, that's that's just kind of being a smart ass <laughs> in oh, a yeah. way. Yeah. You well, know, I, could, it, I could totally, <laughs> I could totally picture myself saying that. I do think that scene with the police was very weird, where they're, were doing that thing and they're all, they're having a laugh, and then they're like, no, this is serious, and then, and then suddenly the policeman goes, right, it's an emergency, then, and, and then they decide to mobilize. Yeah, it, it, it was kind of weird. It's like you had not figured out this was an emergency when you started the meeting. Apparently not.
1: Yep, yeah. I have a note here that says "form war console back to dropping." Papers. It's like in the next scene they're loading up the airplane with the flyers. <laughs> it's like, wait, weren't you guys in a really important meeting about this monster that's attacking the city? Jeez.
0: Well, they were witnesses, but once they're done with that, then you know, back to their normal lives. Yeah, right? They're not supposed. To, they're not supposed to have to do anything with this. One guy's a science fiction writer, and the other guy's is, is comic Pilot. relief sidekick. Yeah. yeah. True. So true. I, I it, 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 but it doesn't flow exactly right there there is a sort of conceit that they actually managed to get into a room with a bunch of these people to talk about the problem it's like why them mm-hmm you know why is not ich Natani there? a
1: good point well he's he's all of a sudden taken out of uh, you know he's left the city right after he had the uh, uh, giant flower emergency headquarters meeting <laughs> I, <laughs> that's why he's gotten so old he's you know what to they avoid could, all you know the what tajis. they could have
0: used? Do you know what could have really helped them in this battle against the flower? Roundup. A roundup or uh, well, I, I don't think um, who, bonsai who roundup, uh,
1: pruning or uh, was it uh, Ike- Ikebani?
0: It was. Um, it was a giant Martian slug. Oh yeah, good point. <laughs> like, yeah. If only we'd had some of those eggs left, we could have uh, we could have taken this plant out.
1: They killed them all, so they didn't have a chance to study them for science. Oops. Um,
0: got anything else?
1: I did find out that uh, carbonic acid will add uh, hydrogen ions to things and cause them to break down.
0: Add hydrogen ions to things and cause yeah, them to, to break down. Yeah,
1: to minerals and whatnot. Okay. And carbon dioxide in water uh, can be called carbonic acid. Which is very mildly acidic.
0: So basically what we're talking about here soda water. is soda water. <laughs> soda water. Yep. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, it's a it's a fantasy TV show. Yep, exactly.
0: I wonder if there's anything to it though. I mean, is is carbonic acid in any way used as as some sort of a plant killer or something? I don't know. I can't it, believe they just pulled that out of nowhere, you know? And my uncle used to have carbonic acid in his uh, shed, gardening shed, all the time, and he said it was yeah. great for weeds or something. Yeah. And, and slugs. Yeah. Huh.
1: It's uh, it's in the human body. It helps keep the acid base uh, levels in check. And uh, apparently, when you breathe out, you you excrete the gas from your lungs, mm. which is, you know, it's... Carbon dioxide and water. So, yeah.
0: I was gonna say I definitely have it in my body because I just finished a Dr. Pepper. Yep, there you go. I've just, I've just, I'm going to wilt if I were a plant.
1: Exactly. Fortunately, you have some base in you, so you're not going to do that. Oh. Uh,
0: pity the flowers don't have any base in them. But yeah, <laughs> well,
1: not the right type, apparently. Apparently not.
0: Apparently not. <laughs> oh, uh, a good thing
1: that uh, June had practice. Uh, bombing places with his flyers. That's why he had such great accuracy with those bottles bombing the plant. <laughs> so they they actually picked the perfect guy to be their airborne forces.
0: It's, it's because they don't have anybody in the military that can fly a plane.
1: Right, exactly. It's like, okay, I, I know they were kind of demilitarized after World War II, but I think they still had some kind of air the JDF force. J.D.F. has
0: some planes, Yeah, yeah
1: spotters yeah. at least transport <laughs> i
0: i you know it's gonna now now that we've we've brought this whole flyers thing up um i am i am sure that those flyers were for his airline and that they were picking them up and he told yuriko that you know that we need to you know, we have to get repeat business. We have to get more business to stay in yeah. business. So this is yeah. what we're using the flyers for. So they are definitely to promote his business, and it is true that they were definitely putting them in two bundles in the back of his Cessna. Well, I but I'm having a hard time believing that he was going to dump those things out of the plane.
1: No, and I don't. <laughs> but think it's going to bother
0: anything. me because that is exactly what it looks like. I mean, yeah, otherwise, I, it, he's just flying to another city to distribute them there? That doesn't make much sense. I have a feeling
1: that they're not based out of Tokyo. So they would have landed at Narita or Haneda or whatever's close and then picked up the uh, well, stuff and just flown when back he to was their airport and the... distributed in various places. Or maybe they were going to be flying to other airports to drop them off or who knows what. Where I guess it could be a business
0: ports. Because I, I got the impression that that was their airfield when he was loading them up.
1: Oh, did you know, it look his, like
0: that? It didn't quite look like the one we saw in the past, but it did fit his description. One helicopter, oh, okay. one Cessna, his car. You know, oh, yeah. Okay. It, so. It, yeah, who knows? And we could have just been seeing it from a different angle than than has been done in the in previous episodes, which were, you know, at night before he got beat up. So. <laughs> exactly. I don't know. But, yeah, I'm going to... Hopefully gonna... we'll
1: find out in more, uh, in future episodes.
0: Uh, he's littering all over Japan with his flyers.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Matuya Air Services, I think is what it's called.
0: Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Which is odd, since because that's not his name. Yeah. But that could mean something. Beautiful sightseeing airlines or something, yeah. Yeah. Mean old reliable flights, or we never crash flying, things like that. Exactly. Yeah. Good good, honorable names that uh, inspire confidence. Mm-hmm. That's it. I got no more. It was kind of a light episode. It's definitely not a leading episode. Definitely yeah,
1: they made a really one. good choice of not having this one being the first episode.
0: Yeah, th- this one probably should not have been a giant flower either. It would have been much better if it had been regular-sized flowers, but lots of them.
1: It's easier to make a a, a a giant flower, one giant flower than lots
0: of little ones. That's true. That is true. That is true. Then let's turn our attention to episode five. Pegula is here. Or perhaps Pegula has come. It depends on your translation.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Pegula. Pegula. Jun is inexplicably traveling to the Japanese Antarctic Research Base. As they approach, a strange fireball passes over, causing some distress to the icebreaker he's aboard. It's here that he meets the new base doctor, Yoko Kuhura. In addition to new personnel for the base, the ship is bringing supplies for the winter, and it is scheduled to be there for just over a week. A sudden freak winter storm threatens their timetable, and they will have to leave a week early, or they risk being locked in the ice all winter. Despite the killer chill, the team works frantically to offload the supplies that the base needs to survive the winter. Jun is actually here to investigate the disappearance and presumed death of Nomura, a biologist missing for three years. He's here at the request of the base commander by way of Professor Ichinatani. Nomura left behind notes that refer to something as Pegula, but nothing more. As the temperatures plummet at incredible speeds, they witness a snowcat and its driver Ito be lifted into the air and be blown away. Jun notes that a similar freak cold spell preceded the loss of Namura. Yoko was actually Namura's fiancée, and she's come to the base, hoping to find answers. That night, both she and Jun, independently, decide to go searching for Nomura in an unexplored area without telling anyone during a freak winter storm in the dark. Neither gets past the parking garage when the snow cat inside the garage lifts magically into the air. Also, Ito, the missing man, half frozen, comes through the door. He's in shock and will be for a week, but later, when Yoko is tending his injuries, he gets up and threatens her, saying, It was Nomura! He is overpowered by the staff and sedated. Yoko rushes out in a snow cat, searching for Namura. Jun and a couple of others follow her in another vehicle. They find her with a dog, which the base commander recognizes as the same dog that was lost with Nomura three years ago. The dog has somehow stayed alive out here in the ice fields. He has been faithfully guarding the frozen body of Namura, buried in the ice. And then Pegura arrives. A giant monster that shoots cold rays and has the power to nullify gravity. He launches them all into the air, but is scared off by the barking of the dog. Everyone survives, and they discover that the dog has survived by eating moss. Back at the base, another sudden cold blast begins, hearkening the approach of Pegula. And while some of the base scientists are skeptical that a giant monster is on the loose, Yoko explains that the dog ingested the moss, which contains a substance called Pegumin H. In a test, Pegumin H killed a seal. And she hypothesizes that Pegula left the dog alone because he was infused with Pegumen H. As the monster approaches the base, destroying its buildings, the scientists load the Pegumen H into a weather rocket and fired it at Pegula. While it doesn't kill the creature, it does seem to annoy him enough that he becomes a fireball and flies away. A cairn is erected for Nomura at the base and Yoko spreads earth from his hometown, Tokyo, around it. Jun catches the boat out. The end. Okay. Pegula is here, or has come, or has arrived, or mm-hmm. has showed up at the door. Yep. What did you think of this episode? I'm calling, uh, I'm calling. It left me like feeling it. cold. Oh!
1: <laughs> it was all right. It You know, I'm starting to get used to the kind of fast, slow pace of the episodes, so... It
0: is odd, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's like we're going to, you know, assume you've figured out the rest of this scene, so we're not going to bother, you know, giving you any sort of history before it. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. like, June shows up on a boat. Okay. All right, we're just going to assume that he's there for work?
0: Yeah. Uh, for yeah. a reason. Yeah. Somebody calls him, like, a reporter or something, and he he's not really a reporter, but... I, well... Maybe he's there on behest of the... I don't know. Because, you know, later, the base commander tells Jun he knows why he's there. And Jun's like, oh, you, you know why I'm here? And he says, well, Professor Ichinatani told me. And I'm thinking, oh, okay. And then and then later, the base commander says, that's why I asked you to come here. So, like, did he ask Professor Ichinatani? And Professor Ichinatani said, hell no, I'm an old man. <laughs> Sent Jun. <laughs> it's like- He'll, he'll yeah, be we'll just load
1: them up in the mystery machine and have him drive down to uh, the uh, the the Cape down there and catch Antarctica, a boat. Yeah, a boat.
0: You bet, no problem.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, you could be gone for half a year if the boat gets locked in. Yeah, you and, know how many uh, tanks
1: of fuel it's going to take for that Cessna to get down there? Wow.
0: Yeah, Ooh.
1: yeah. Oh, it, it's,
0: uh, better take the helicopter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, <laughs> that was a little that was a little strange and. And it occurred to me that he, they must think he's going to wrap his investigation up in a week.
1: I guess, yeah, to show Because the up, boat's supposed to out.
0: leave in a week. Right. And so if it doesn't, if it leaves and he didn't leave with it, he's there for the winter. Yes, which would suck. It would be very bad for his business. The, him, since they probably
1: haven't allocated enough food for him and he would have to starve or perhaps eat moss.
0: yes yes Um, moss it's a thing it's a thing i looked it up it's a thing
1: there's there's moss in antarctica
0: well well there's moss in places like greenland they're cold i
1: (laughs) so i should expect to find moss in my freezer is that what you're saying yes okay i'll look when i when we stop podcasting tonight yes
0: look if you get hungry enough I could eat you'll, that. You'll eat them. Wow. Yeah. Now, now I'm I'm gonna say because uh, there were a, a few stretches there. Hmm. One was that they found I moss. Think I pulled something. Yeah. The second is uh, it. It turns out if you can find moss or lichen, you can actually eat it. Oh yeah,
1: I've actually done that before in wilderness survival training stuff.
0: Yeah, um, I, it was interesting. A couple of the articles that I found about this were kind of on you know like one site was saying that they were going to try to make a scale of how the various survival things you could eat taste <laughs> and they said but it just it wasn't worth it because i don't know how to place something on a scale between terrible and really terrible
1: yeah exactly varying <laughs> degrees of badness uh, and we were and- we were told that you can uh cook it like scrambled eggs. I yeah, think that's to... a usage of the word scrambled eggs that I have never heard of before.
0: Yeah. A lot of boiling it a lot. Uh, and, and, uh, yeah. and one place said the best way is to soak it in water, oh, water and yes. then, and then for like a day and then pour that water out, soak it again <laughs> uh-huh. and then boil it in soup. And I'm like, well, if I had soup, I would not be eating lost. Yeah. So, and there is not much nutritional value in it. No. At all. So you'd have to eat a lot of moss. And then dogs aren't really big on the veggies.
1: Yeah. So I... Apparently
0: they can survive on an all-veggie diet. But, and, and they do eat some for a variety of reasons. Mostly grass, the vomit, things. But, but you know, they, they can do mm-hmm. it. Um, oh, it's also highly acidic. That's the other problem with
1: oh yes, uh, I know that lichen will break down rocks.
0: Yeah, it'll it'll yep. y- it will also give you stomach problems if you don't you know eat ash with it or something. <laughs> Stim- mm-hmm. stomach- to oh,
1: to- <laughs> I'm gonna go down to the pub and have myself a big old bowl of moss and ash, uh, just like Mom <laughs> used to make. Mm, yeah. Yum!
0: So uh-
1: <laughs> I'm gonna wash it down with some moss water too. Want me to pick you up some? Mm, um, <laughs> oh. I'll pass. I'll pass. I already ate. Had pizza, mm. so I'll. Uh-
0: <laughs> I'll have, to, I'll have to pass on it this time, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we have that the dog that stays through at least two Antarctic winters eating wow. moss <laughs> mm-hmm. out on the field. And and that dog looks very well fed. Oh,
1: yeah. Nice shiny coat. M- moss nice, must, shiny be coat. M- must be great for coats.
0: Must be great. And the fact that at a distance of about 30 meters... The base commander identified the dog by name. Well,
1: I maybe mean, it was their only dog. I guess maybe.
0: Oh, <laughs> there's a dog. Know. Wait a minute. Is that Shobu? They're all named that. <laughs> no, it could be that. It could be that. Except he did say that is the dog that went out with Namura, so Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So it's it's been it's been guarding the body of its thing. Now, obviously the, the the Japanese love that. They've got that mm-hmm. like that statue of Hachiko? the dog at the station. Yeah. Is that the name of Hachiko? I, something like that. Yeah. I Don't remember yeah. his name. That 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 resonates. That resonates in in a, so that was kind of mm-hmm. silly but cute.
1: <laughs> it makes a great place for people to meet at the train station.
0: There you go. Which there you go. Do. I I can believe that. Take a picture, perhaps give it a bowl of water even though it's a it's, statue.
1: It's a useful landmark right outside the <laughs> station. And that station is in uh, Shinjuku. So there's like two million people that go through it every day or something like that. That's a huge amount.
0: And they all touch that statue I and think put the so. Yes. on it. Yeah, exactly. That is, uh, They're yeah.
1: inoculating themselves.
0: <laughs> They've got herd mentality. Mm. Oh, wait, no, no, no. Herd immunity. Immunity, yeah, yeah we go. There yeah, we go. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and, and how... Well, let, let, let's just go straight for the dog scenario. So Pegula doesn't like the dog because the dog's infused with Pegamin H. <laughs> sure, yep. And why wouldn't they call it vitamin Pegamin or something, but instead of Pegamin H? Eh. Uh, anyway.
1: What, uh, what's the H from? What, why is that? I have no idea. I, I don't organic know. Is that chemistry thing I don't know about? It's, I don't understand that.
0: I have no idea. I think they just made it up.
1: Well, yeah, but,
0: but I, I, who knows? It, if you think about it, they obviously made it up in faux English, right? Because yeah. that's actually what she says, Pegamin H. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's just, it's just supposed to sound cool. I want my daily multivitamin with Pegamin H. But mm. how, if, if Peguia didn't eat the dog, how would he know? That the dog is infused with a deadly It probably substance. smells like it,
1: you know. The dog's barking at him, you know, breathing towards him and, and figuring out the can smell the, moss, the yeah. moss. And it's like, oh, I don't want any of that. And why he doesn't zap him with his ice breath spray, I don't know.
0: But that would uh, that would seal the Pegamin H inside the ice where it would be preserved so it would last longer. Yeah. So that would, that true. would be a bad thing, right? I mean...
1: In the long run, yes. Depends how yeah. much you know forethought Pegura <laughs> has. You he know, d- does he have it. a five-year plan?
0: Well, uh, apparently, it, it does involve coming back to this base every three years. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Does he invest wisely? As a fireball?
0: As a fireball? Yes. That that part confused the heck out of me. I thought we were. I thought we were going to get one of those. They're traveling to the base. A fireball comes in from outer space has a monster on it,
1: mm-hmm. and then the
0: monster starts rampaging. Yeah, But no, that's apparently a monster that is terrestrial and has been there before. So, I'm not sure why it flies around like a fireball. <laughs> uh,
1: rates are cheap? I don't know.
0: Yes, it says on
1: the special effect budget, because you don't have to animate wings flying. Mm, mm,
0: mm-hmm. Speaking of special effects, mm-hmm. I thought that they did a an incredibly expansive collection at the beginning of both pretty darn good and pretty darn awful miniature shots of the ship in the ice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Some of them looked good. Some of them looked so bad it wasn't even funny. Are you talking about the uh, the painting of the bow of the ship? Uh, no, 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 oh. no. I'm talking about some in some of the cases... Just you know, it's the way that the fake ice moved, and uh, and then just suddenly it looks like ah, oh, that's the size of a toy in a bathtub. With right, because water is times really it, it difficult. Didn't look bad, to yeah, looked big, yeah. And I also think they actually used real ice on the set in a couple of places. Uh, possibly, it looked like it looked like a couple of ice stalagmites that actually looked like ice. Maybe they were glass or something. But I'm thinking they just got some ice. To- and stuck them on the set, so this will add some. It could be like fiberglass resin that they cast. It could be. It could be. I, 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 I'm not going to go uh, one way or the other. It just it did. It looked convincingly like ice to me, mm-hmm. and you know most things don't when yeah, you're trying yeah, to true. portray ice. It, it did yeah. look sort of convincingly like clear, really solid ice. So, uh, yeah, on that. So one one thing that I wanted to point out. I don't believe they call it by name, but uh, there is a Japanese Antarctic base. It's Mm -hmm. Shoah Station, founded in 1957. So this would be it that they're talking about, even if they're not going to name it. It's on a small island called East Ungul Island. It is uh, basically due south of South Africa. And it's at the 69th degree south latitude. Which means... Cause I, I, you you know what really bugged me during the episode, what? When they went out at night, <laughs> and I thought, wait a minute here. Well, <laughs> eh, wait a second. This this is this is supposed to be the end of summer, and I got to thinking about that, and then I started doing research on it because mm-hmm. I didn't want to. Cause well, I said, wait a minute. Now if you if at the peak of summer you have. 24 hours of Sun right which you don't quite but close uh, at the, the the dead of winter you have no Sun then you know at the pole obviously right. the further up you go the, the the more variance it is somewhere along the line it does in fact have to cross at 12 hours a day
1: right yes. I mean it has to split yeah.
0: the day at some point along the way it will it will reach that point and yeah. We know that they are at the end of the summer because they're stocking for winter. Mhm, and I still research, and I'm guessing this is supposed to be March for them, because that looks to be temperature wise mm-hmm. about where it starts getting nasty. So if they were thought they had a week and they lose it, then you know we're, we're talking it's probably roughly there. Mm-hmm. Um, fine, okay. 12.5 hours of sunlight a day at that time.
1: All right. Sounds about right. So yeah.
0: nighttime, fine. They would, they would, we would see a steady progression of day and night mm-hmm. during the course of this story. And yeah. And nighttime so, would be
1: longer and longer. Day would be shorter
0: and shorter, just like in Alaska. Yeah. Getting, heading, heading on its way into the, the big cold. But anyway, another thing interesting about the Shoah Station Is that there is indeed, and I believe it was erected in 1960, there is indeed a cairn for Mm -hmm. a team, I think it's four people, that died at the station. And I think they're even trying to get it made into a historic marker. So, again, that would have been relatively recent when this show was made. Mm -hmm. So I can see how that might have crept crept into the story. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the whole idea of them erecting that little monument to Nomura in in just apparently a couple of days, because Jun still managed to catch his flight out or his boat out. So, <sighs> and didn't get stuck there all winter. No. The monster.
1: Mm hmm. Kind of like a Godzilla with a bad skin condition and wings. Oh, and yeah, wings, and uh, tusks. Wings,
0: tusks, and uh, a cold ray. <laughs> cold ray, yep i kind of appreciate the fact that one of the scientists was being a bit of a bit of a uh, skeptical uh, jerk
1: <laughs> oh the uh, it, it was a uh, reflection in the uh, the ice particles
0: yes yes i uh, they... i mean we all saw the snowcat lifted up into the air well so the first time they said so well the, the snowcat got blown away mm-hmm. and and then another and because you've got a room full of scientists, right? One of us going, well, I estimate that you would have to have a wind of three hundred and twenty kilometers per hour. And mm-hmm. then the the other guy's like, the yesterday's wind never went beyond fifty-two kilometers per hour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just like so, like, so oh, that isn't can, it. Yeah, rule that one out. Yeah. And then when we all saw it, everybody at the base saw it. We have a missing man. We all saw it. At fly off into the air, <laughs> and then this guy's like, eh, I think really what we're talking about is Swamp a gas. <laughs> yeah. a what? Yes, it's uh, ice particles in the air reflecting the uh snow cat falling into a ravine uh Chasm a ravine. Chasm, there we go. And uh and so we see it in the air, but it's really uh crushed down in the crowd. <laughs> like okay. This kind of it kind of fits with the scientist in the uh in the plant episode mm-hmm. where They've kind of got this sort of scientists are disconnected from reality approach. It it wasn't a flattering portrayal of this guy. No, no. And let's apply Occam's razor to this.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He he missed that day of school, apparently.
0: But is, is really We Saw It Fly Off Into the Sky? Is that one... Well, you know, you have to, it's
1: like, well, here's a, here's a theory on how it could have happened, you know, and now we have to decide whether or not it's, you know, the theory can be validated. (laughs) Then pretty much, you know, 20 guys say, no, it flew into the air. Okay, that pretty much invalidates that theory. Sorry. But, you know, I had to bring it up.
0: Uh (laughs) Why did Ito, when he returned, half frozen? Why did he attack Yoko?
1: I have no idea. And, ice and what was this whole thing about it? It was Namura.
0: I mean, I, I was he just terrified out of his wits because he found him in a block of ice. I guess so. Which made him violent and want to attack. Um, yeah, your guess his is as good on that one. That didn't didn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, This this episode, as you say, it's got a it's got a weird sort of fast and slow pace to it. I found it interesting. I found the mystery kind of interesting. I think it would have been a lot better uh, if they never showed the monster until the end for starters. They did I I ignored it in the recap, but there are a couple of points where we the audience see the monster that they don't. Right. In this story. It, yeah, and I,
1: you're right. It would have been better if they would have hidden that from us.
0: Yeah. Not not just because it's silly but because it just the story wasn't a bad sort of tale of them coming to this place to try to find Nomura right right and it was it's an interesting location it had uh you know why is the temperature getting cold why is the uh, all that was was actually entertaining but then you know the monster starts storming into the base and they shoot it with a missile and it gets mad and it flies off Mm -hmm. very lacking in the in the climax of the story i don't know what they could have done to make it better i mean apart from what we've already said but i mean in terms of it being a monster story i i I don't know i i I feel like they missed it's a miss they they were close Mm -hmm. they had a lot to work with that was that was good but it just doesn't yeah, they it could have had a, actual, a you know,
1: more of a mystery if they just would have kept the uh, the monster away from us until the big reveal at the end. But then again, you know maybe their popular their uh, their their audience was you know there to see the monsters, and if you have an episode where you don't see them till the last two minutes of the series or the show, you're going to be a little disappointed.
0: TBS definitely wanted more monsters. I mean, that was part of yep. their exactly that was part of their sort of. Suggestions to <laughs> Subaraya, and and here I think we're I think we're missing it. I, I I think we could have found some other weird phenomena. You know, if they had come up with something something else, something else strange that was causing the chill and the, the I don't know about the anti gravity, but the, <laughs> the, you know the and the the loss and everything. I think this could have been a much more Interesting and sort of more Twilight Zone esque episode. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, maybe giant claw marks or huge footprints or I don't know what. But
0: yeah, or a strange meteorite. You know, if that had been a meteorite and that was somehow had weird properties, mm-hmm. and they had to blow it up, and when they blew it up, that was the end of it, or something. But uh, I don't know. I, I I I really don't know. It just seems like maybe they should gone back yeah now you know i'm sure that it's just well we have to have a monster
1: yep i think that's it we have
0: to have a giant monster and and in in that respect i see why the ultraman formula works you know it, it is it is a cliche that the monster shows up the monster yep. wrecks things the mankind tries to save it and then ultimately ultraman shows up and beats it up at the end you've right. got a surefire way of getting rid of the monster Time and time again. Mm-hmm. Eventually, he will get rid of it. Maybe it'll be a little bit difficult, but here, either the monster is a big threat, in which case it feels like he can't get away with it, or the monster is just not that big of a threat. And we can drop some carbonic acid on it. Right. Or uh, some Pegaman H mm-hmm. and get rid of it. Um, yeah, it's just, it isn't quite... I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to say that giant monsters may not actually be the best plot device for telling stories.
1: Well, I mean, maybe, but it seems to have worked for, what, 50 years plus?
0: (laughs) It it has, but very few of those stories have particularly deep plots. Oh,
1: yeah, I know. It's all surface.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I think the the most impactful of all of them is like Godzilla versus the Smog Monster because that's got that deep environmental uh, message yeah. buried into it. Smog is bad. Smog is bad. Smog is bad. Save the Earth. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> I, I liked
1: the design. Oh, yeah. The interior of the base that did look very um, prefabricated, like something that would be assembled and you know bolted together and there you go. You've got yourself a hut.
0: Do you know what I thought was really funny about this? A lot of times when you're watching a Japanese show, particularly the Tsuburaya stuff, I, admit, I watch an awful lot of the Aya stuff, and a lot of times when they're talking, whether they're inside or outside, you can see their breath. And <laughs> even when it's not supposed to be the winter, right? you know how that goes in places you film and it's like we're pretending it's winter And it's actually 200 degrees outside Or, or, or whatever it happens to be hmm. But it seems like Filming season in Japan Must go through a very cold phase Well, duh It's a cold yep. place And apparently their studios are not well heated Because So sometimes you will see them actually in their You know, military base And they'll be talking to each other And you go, I saw their breath I, I, You can huh. see their breath and, I, actually
1: haven't, uh, uh, I haven't watched it enough to actually notice
0: that. It, it I mean, happens every once in a while, and you're just like, huh, it, yeah, that's that's surprising. But, you know, what was really surprising is not a trace of that on this episode. A Good point, yeah. None whatsoever. It's like, I'm sitting here going, the one time they filmed one in Japan, in the middle of summer, <laughs> they did the <laughs> Antarctic episode. It's yeah. Like, I thought this was the perfect one. I mean, I... I it, listeners uh, will, will long time listeners will know one of the things I love uh, old films is Howard Hawks' uh, The Thing from Another World mm-hmm. and because it's a silly story, get me wrong there but yeah. it's got two things in it that are really innovative. One is that he shot it in, in coolers at times so <laughs> that they get the breath it's an important plot point In the court, in the, in the film at one point, and it adds a layer of reality to it that you don't normally get in shows that are supposed to be set in the Arctic where, you know, it's, it's shot over the Imperial dunes (laughs) pretending to be snow, you know? And, um, and the other thing is, and that was, that was what was relevant to this story, Mm -hmm. but, uh, and the other thing is just their use of dialogue where people actually talk over each other it's a it's a it's one of the few shows you'll see particularly of the era where characters talk naturally and ride right over each other like huh. we do here all the time right <laughs> like, yep because uh, that's <laughs> the way people actually talk in the real world and uh, it, it's an interesting thing so anyway the thing from another world uh howard hawks um uh, producer I believe he, he, some people think he was the director but he's not the director of record
1: uh, apparently in, uh, uh, John Carpenter's The Thing, the remake of that, uh, he, he did the same thing. You can definitely
0: see them breathing in that one right. too, yeah. Yep, I
1: re- I remember that and I thought that was actually pretty cool so yeah, and uh, same thing, shot of it in, uh, uh, dropped the uh, temperature of the stages down to like 40 degrees man, that must have been real pain to do that.
0: Really? Because the lights would be hot.
1: Exactly. And I think the outside it was summertime, so it was like close to of 100 course. or something like that.
0: Who was it who thought Ooh. we'd shoot this in the summer, you idiots? <laughs> Let's shoot it in the cold Los Angeles winter. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Where it's probably 50 outside. 60. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know that I have anything else on, on this this nope. episode. It's It's not...
1: I think the monster had potential. You know, they could have done more with him. But they had to tell the two stories, you know, the, the guy missing and then what's going on with the monster. I guess they really didn't have a lot of time to showcase the monster's abilities.
0: Yeah, well, it's kind of interesting that she waited three years to come look for him. But I guess maybe that's how long it took her to get a posting.
1: Yeah, probably. Yeah, they don't just hand those things out. Yeah,
0: that, in a way, that surprises me. But, uh really well i,
1: I suppose it's that... a it's a very difficult environment and i think they figured out yeah. early on that it, it takes special people to actually go down there for the the winter and not kill everybody <laughs> or just you know turn out to just you know be a, a horrible person and and get on everybody's bad side
0: yeah well i yeah well i i know there's a The screening process obviously is is Mm -hmm. part of it, but no, I was thinking more in terms of yes, there's there's the scientists, and obviously they're going to be competing because whatever field they're in, it's you know it's like getting a radio telescope time. Yep, you you have to compete to get yeah that research. So I totally get that that the biologists and the and and the, the astronomers or whoever is down there in the uh, Antarctic are, that's a highly coveted position, but I'm not sure about Scullery Cook. You know, those people, I'm thinking it might not be as easy to get that you can make it an extremely selective process. And of course, this woman fell in between. She's a doctor. Right. And as far as we can tell, that's what her job was. She wasn't a research scientist. She was meant to be the base doctor. So... I, I don't know. I, I, it just, it's like, well, I, I genuinely am not sure how they would go about that for support positions. Let's call them that, support well, positions. Well, I think
1: nowadays it's done by um, uh, contractors for, you know, they actually contract the scientists, or scientists. The science institution will contract out for base support and management.
0: Right, and, and then they hire people right so you're know, like, willing to go do Weichen it yeah. or
1: something like that or you know ADP or whoever does the hiring will find people that are willing to work down there and you know screen them and all that kind of fun stuff
0: probably at some pretty good pay yes yes i've watched a
1: couple of shows on people who work down there in the wintertime. and yeah it's not quite as as you know decent pay as like working on an oil platform in the north sea but in some it's, ways
0: not as dangerous.
1: Yeah. It, it's not chump change either either.
0: Yeah, I suppose. That would be that would be the incentive is, is money. Hadn't occurred to me. Yeah, and you know, saying that
1: well, you know, I I worked in the McMurdo Base for a winter. You know.
0: You had some bragging <laughs> rights there. Oh well, yeah, big ones. Yeah. Showa station. I was at Showa Station.
1: Yep. Oh, and
0: Fujira was there? Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah when the monster was there too not just any other year it was the monster year I was yep. there that was mm-hmm. me all right. John thank you for joining me oh you are very welcome <laughs> listeners <laughs> I hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol we hope you've enjoyed listening to Fusion Patrol a listener supported podcast there are over 500 previous episodes available at FusionPatrol.com Join the conversation on Twitter, our website, or Facebook. Find out how you can become a supporter at patreon.com slash Supporters get early access to all regular episodes, bonus episodes, and more. There's even an optional podcast series where we're looking at the classic TV series Babylon 5. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. On the next episode of Fusion Patrol, it's bugs, a sporting chance. So please, come join the conversation with me, Eugene. And me, Simon, as we talk about exceedingly contrived villainous schemes, whether a rigid formula precludes experimentation or the exploration of ideas, and Ed's incredible sudden aptitude for very non-specific martial arts. We hope you'll join us next time on Fusion Patrol.